Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. This can be found in the New Testament section of our Red Pew Bibles on page 4. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Scripture. And now I ask that through the Holy Spirit, our hearts and our minds will be open to the truth, the way, and the life that you promised your disciples. That we may become better followers of you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Well, the Lord be with you. I am so grateful, grateful to be here, grateful to be alive, and grateful that we have the opportunity as a church to read the greatest sermon ever given, ever preached, and that is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if you're looking for the greatest sermon, you have it right before you, which means I'm going to ask you to indulge me, and if you would just pick up one of those Red Pew Bibles, and if you would let your fingers do the walking, and find Matthew chapter 5, and here's why. We're going to be going back and forth a bit between chapter 4 and chapter 5, and a couple other places, and it's just so good in terms of deepening our learning when not only are we hearing it, but we're seeing it for ourselves. If you were here last week, we kicked off this series that we're calling Life Together in God's Kingdom. And uh, I said to you that the Sermon on the Mount is best understood if we see it as Jesus calling time out. 
and he just wants people to slow down. The crowds, they're in a frenzy, they're excited. So many wonderful things are going on. People are being healed, people are coming to see Jesus. And he begins to get the idea that they're looking at him in a way that he shouldn't be seen. Maybe he's the next political figure that's going to liberate us from Rome. And Jesus says, no, time out. Let me tell you what my kingdom is all about. So Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is really a manifesto. And it's describing for the disciples how they should live in the world. And you know what? This never gets old. We still need to be reminded. The other thing I don't want you to do, and this is why I'm asking you to indulge me by opening your Bibles, is that I don't want you to divorce Matthew 5, 1 through 12, from the rest of the sermon. Don't divorce it. And look, if you have your Bibles open, which I hope you do, look at the last, the last two Beatitudes. That would be Beatitude number 8 and 9. Look at what it says. Blessed are those who, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of uh, evil against you falsely on my account. And then verse 12, very difficult. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here's what I want you to be thinking about, that these Beatitudes that we read last week, they do not, ex they, they exist rather in the public square. Disciples are being persecuted because of their public witness. In other words, do not read the sermon. Do not read the sermon as if it's a private, hidden kind of message to you and to me and all Christians. Christians cannot live the norms of the Sermon on the Mount in a private, hidden way. When you live the God-centered life, which I think is what the Beatitudes are all about, when you live the God-centered life, you will attract attention. And some of that attention could result in suffering and opposition. These kingdom norms are to be practiced before the watching world. It is in the public arena that Christians then impact the world for good, which then brings us to Jesus' metaphors of salt and light. And then I'm tacking onto that uh, the words Jesus has about Scripture, salt, light, and scripture. Jesus says with great emphasis, you light the world. You are the salt of the earth. You salt the earth. You light the world. And again, in this way, and I hope you see that, I want you to see this, Christians are outward-focused servants of God in the world. And I think he's saying this, and if you have your Bibles open, you could flip back to chapter 4 and verse 19. I think Jesus is saying this because of what he said earlier to his disciples, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. So in the ancient world, salt was used primarily as a preservative because they didn't have what we have. They didn't have these deep freeze refrigeration systems. People use salt to preserve and to savor their food, to flavor their food. I found out, and I did some, some reading on this, that the word salary is derived from the word salt. Roman soldiers were paid in salt. It was, it was, it was valuable. It was, a, it was a form of currency, and I'm glad I don't live in those days. I mean, can you imagine Friday comes around and you get two bags of salt? 
I can't deal with that. I think Jesus is saying something, though, about us, that Christians are very important. Christians are people of influence. Jesus is saying that apart from his disciples, apart from the disciples salting the world, the world's going to turn rotten. Christians have the effect of delaying moral and spiritual decay. And so if the life of that Christian conforms to the norms of the Beatitudes in, chapter, in verses 3 through 12, I think that's one of the ways we're going to have a positive impact on society. But Jesus always introduces a new thought. What happens if the salt loses its saltiness? What happens if the saltiness wanes? What happens, for our purposes, what happens when the disciple loses his or her way, becoming unfaithful to the call of God? Then Jesus says that salt is good for nothing. It'll be thrown out into the streets. It's thrown out into the streets. It's trampled by the pedestrians. And John Stott in his commentary says it best. The salt becomes road dust. Road dust. Second metaphor Jesus talks about is light. Jesus describes two sources of light, right? The light related to a city on a hill, and the light that comes from a little, something like that, a little terracotta uh, lamp. Jesus says Christians light the world. And by implication, we could read into that that Jesus is saying something is wrong with the world. There's darkness. And it's the Christians, the disciples, with the light of God, the light of Christ, who, who bring light into the world. And again, because of the nature of the call Jesus has on his disciples and has on us, this is, there's no place, no place whatsoever where the light then becomes private and it's personal. You know, my faith is personal. I just don't talk about it. It's just between me and God. There's no place for that, friends. Christians go public and the darkness is pierced by the light. And in the ancient world, light was, light was connected to knowledge and to truth and to revelation and to love. Here's one of my favorite verses from Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3, speaking about the influence of light. It says that those who are wise, there's that knowledge, those who are enlightened by wisdom shall shine like the brightness of the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You go back and you look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16. And if you have your Bibles open, you can just go back and look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16. And you'll notice Jesus was very conversant with the words of Isaiah. There's this quote from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those who sat in the region and shadow of death, what happened? Light has dawned. Jesus, again, I believe is describing his mission. That's what Isaiah was predicting, this light coming into the world. It's Jesus. He's the light of the world. What's the purpose of the light, friends? Jesus is pointing to the mission, I believe, of himself, the mission of the church, that discipleship, get this now, discipleship means mission. Well, I'm not on the mission committee. You don't understand. I was reading 
Dr. Chris Wright, somebody that many of us know, he wrote the book, The Mission of God's People, a biblical theology of the church's mission. And look at this quote. Look at what he says here. He says, it's not so much the case that it's not so much the case that God has a, a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Think about that. Mission was not made for the church. We just don't get a pass on this. If you're a disciple and you are salt and you're a light, you are involved in the mission. The church was made for mission. The church brings the light of the gospel to the nations of the world. And, and, and Jesus says it best, as we heard it read in the scriptures, Matthew 5, verse 16, let your light shine. That's mission. So that they will see your good works, forward-facing, public, nothing hidden, not private. People may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let me quickly run on to the third note that Jesus has here about being light. He talks about scripture. There was a time when Presbyterians were described as the people of the book, creatures of the word. Notice how many times I'm begging you to open your Bibles. There was a time when you, you, you went to a Presbyterian church or a church, you brought your Bible, number one, but the minute somebody started reading or speaking from scripture, everybody is diving in. It's not the same anymore. Related to salt and light is the place of Scripture. The Scriptures govern. The Scriptures guide the Christian's life in the world. Notice what Jesus says, and I think he says these words in response to his critics. In verse 17, if you're looking at that with me, would you? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's what they were telling him. You know, his way was so radical, his teaching was so radical. They thought, oh, this guy is here to upend Judaism. Jesus says, no, i am not come to abolish it. I've not come to abolish but to fulfill. Verse 18, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So, test for the class. What kind of view does Jesus have of Scripture? Is it a high view or a low view? What says to you? I think Jesus has a high view of Scripture. And the law and the prophets here simply mean what? First of all, the law, I think Jesus is referring to the first five books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We call that the Pentateuch. And then he says that the, the prophets, I think he's referring to all of the prophets who spoke in the name of God. And when you take all of that together, the law and the prophets, it refers to all of God's revelation, even, <laughs> even the punctuation. Heaven and earth will pass away before even the punctuation passes away. So Jesus then is vehemently rejecting the critic's lie. I did not come to abolish the law. I did not come to lay aside the law of the prophets. I have a high view of scripture. I am here to fulfill them. In other words, everything in the law and the prophets, Jesus is saying, it's about me. It's fulfilling who I am and what my mission is. And therefore, please, if you're upset with me, Come talk to me. Therefore, I think it's the height of folly to disregard the scriptures. And in this case, we're talking about Old Testament scripture as irrelevant 
And I think maybe this is why Jesus warned, and we heard it in the reading in verse 19. If you look at verse 19, Jesus warned. He said, therefore, whoever, whoever breaks one of these, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called what? Will be called what, church? We call least. What, what, what are we going to be called? Least in the kingdom of heaven. I think everybody on this side is awake. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called what on this side will be called great in the kingdom of heaven for i tell you and this is a shocking almost insulting statement no long no wonder they hated jesus and they wanted to kill him he looks and he says for i tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the pharisees and i'm telling you the scribes and the pharisees were the template for holiness and piety. And Jesus is saying, look, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And I really want to really encourage you just to linger with me for a moment on what I call these three warnings. I think Jesus is warning his disciples of the danger of what I'm calling diminishment. The danger of diminishment, these three warnings, don't, where Jesus is saying, look, don't lose sight of your saltiness. Number two, don't, don't hide your light. Number three, don't break or dismiss scripture. What did Mark Twain say? You remember what Mark Twain said? He said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I, I do understand. So the danger that you and I face in today's secular culture is that our imagination as to what it means to be a salty Christian, what it means to be a Christian bringing light, what it means to be a Christian who has a high view of Scripture, we are in danger of dumbing that down. And you say, well, Pastor, why would Christians diminish their relationship to Jesus in these three areas? And I would say to you again, go back to the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes paint the picture for us. These nine qualities of values that are lived in the public arena. But the problem for us today, we live in a modern secular age that when we go public with something as controversial as faith in Jesus Christ, we run risk of persecution, ridicule, rejection, mockery. And so what do we do as Christians? And I'm just as guilty. We kind of hunker down in safe harbors. And so instead of becoming light, instead of becoming salt, what do we do? Many of us, and again, if you're upset with me, come talk to me. But I'm going to tell you, many of us become political animals. That is, to be heavy into politics today is actually pretty cool. You're, you're, you're hip, it's safe, you're culturally relevant, it's acceptable. And so what do we do? We write about politics, we rage about politics, we spend our time canvassing for political figures, and boy, canvassing for Jesus, no way. Instead of being light, we identify many of us with health and fitness and wellness. And our membership at the gym is sometimes more important than our membership at the church. Or our membership in this investment group is more important than our membership in the church. More important than, than what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We obsess over money and we obsess over diet and we obsess over clothes and equipment. And we're physically fit and we look good and we smell good. And it never occurs to us that we might be spiritually unfit. Build up the body, but we don't build up the body of Christ. And instead of holding the scriptures up like Jesus did, with all of its hard parts, with 
all of its embarrassing parts, what do we do? We, we abort scripture under the influence of what is relevant. What is relevant is what everyone approves, even if God doesn't approve. We're more concerned with our culture's approval, our culture's smile, our culture's nod. People click on our Instagram page that gets us going, and we're less attuned, we're less concerned with God's smile, with God's approval, or with God's disapproval. And I think in these ways, friends, we're all complicit. We diminish salt, we diminish light, we diminish scripture, and yet we still call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus. Let me close by offering to you a way of working against diminishment let me offer to you a way of working against diminishment. Number one, I think Jesus tells us one way. It's in Matthew 4, verse 17. So again, if you have your Bibles open, you could take a look at the words of Jesus. In Matthew 4, 17, he says these words, repent, repent. You know, that's an old word. That's an embarrassing word. Repent, it means to turn around. It means to say that I'm going the wrong way. I'm going to turn in Jesus' way. Repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And when we repent, we're saying that, God, I repent of losing my saltiness. I repent of hiding your light. I repent of breaking or dismissing your word. So we repent of that. Another way forward then is to remember the words of Matthew 4.19. So if you have your Bibles, you could take a look again at Matthew 4.19, the words of Jesus, where Jesus gave the identity markers for his disciples. He says, follow me. We repent of diminishment, and we say, Lord, I want to remember your words. You told me to follow you and you will cause me to fish for people. And again, I would offer to you that this is our calling. This is our identity. This is why the church exists. This is the reason why we follow Jesus. And so if that's true, then maybe one thing you and I could do, and I've been thinking a lot about this. In fact, when I read the book again, a book that I mentioned last week called Just Mercy, it occurred to me, as I listened very closely, as I read the story of Brian Stevenson, he said in his first year of law school, he was just totally lost. He actually said, what am I doing here? And after spending a summer in Atlanta, Georgia, and he said proximity, getting close to people, he suddenly realized why I'm going to Harvard Law School. He suddenly said, I am going to Harvard Law School so that when I graduate, I can come back and serve these people who are being crushed by the criminal justice system. What this guy did, he discovered a need, and he also looked at the gifts and the abilities that he has, and when you put gift and ability and strength with a need, amazing things begin to happen. Jesus says, the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth, here's the need, I've given you the light, I've given you the salt, amazing things begin to happen. So one of the things I would love for you to do, and I have a little, just a very little, a, a small screen here that I want you to take a look at. I want you to, on one side, on one side, and this is something small groups could do if you're in a small group, do this exercise, even in your family, with your kids at the dinner table, do this exercise. Look at the needs around you and just make a list of them. Doesn't mean you have the answer, but just everywhere you see brokenness, write it down on one side. And then on the other side, say, 
what are the gifts and the strengths and the abilities that God has given me? Write them down on the other side and then just see what happens. Say to yourself, I wonder if there is something God has given me that could address one of these needs. Imagine what would happen if the church would do that. Look at the needs. Look at what God has given to you. And then say, Lord, Lord, do any of these gifts that you've given me represent a possible answer to some of the needs around me? Jesus says that we should do our good works so that people will see our light and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord, we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. So help us now to sort out this sermon that you've given us, what it means to be salt and light. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.